All right. Well, thank you. It's really wonderful uh, to be able to share with you. And uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the text of the Scriptures today. And I invite you to open up to Romans chapter 11. There are a lot of people in the church today that, God, that say God is through with Israel. That the Jewish people were God's chosen people, but they aren't any longer. That the church is Israel. And that, you know, all the promises, all the blessings that God made to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, are now the, 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 pro, the product of uh, what, what the church receives. The curses, no, they'll still be with the Jews, you know. But uh, back in the, um, in the early 20th century, there's a British poet who wrote a little doggerel. He said, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Not so odd as those who choose the Jewish God but hate the Jews. And that's a thought-provoking sentiment, isn't it? Uh, we oftentimes in the Jewish community wonder why God chose us. Um, you know, there's a wonderful scene from uh, Fiddler on the Roof where Tevye the milkman is bemoaning his fate. There's all kinds of problems in the village of Anatevka. His daughter wants to marry a man he doesn't approve of. His cow uh, has stopped giving milk. His horse has gone lame. He looks up to God and he says, God, they say we're the chosen people. For once could you choose someone else? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that the question about the cho chosenness or the election of the Jewish people is an ancient one. And Paul in writing the book of Romans, which is the magisterial epistle, it is the most fully developed theological statement of all of the epistles in the New Testament, nevertheless felt that he had to take three whole chapters to unpack this issue for the church in Rome who were beginning to say, you know what, the Israel had their chance and now it's for us and, you know, God's through with them. I mean, so we're talking about a, a problem that's been going on since the beginning of the church, and it's more virulent today than perhaps back then. So more than ever, we need to take a look at this, and Pastor Phil's been great with giving me enough time this morning, but I don't think we have enough time for Romans 9 and 10 and 11. If you've never read them all in one sitting, I encourage you to do it because it's the chair, it's the central passage in the New Testament concerning this important issue. But we're going to look at the first 15 verses of Romans chapter 11 where Paul really addresses this by asking and answering three questions. And th those three questions really serve in their answer why we know there is a future for Israel. And uh, the first question that he asks is with regard to the Jewish people in their unbelief, and he answers that with the evidence that there is a remnant. The promise of the remnant is this presence of this remnant is evidence of how we know that Israel will survive. Paul says, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. In other words, absolutely not. There is no more definitive an answer to that question. Did God reject his people? Absolutely not. For I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? 
Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. I believe that the key doctrines of Christianity, the key doctrines of the New Testament, the key doctrines of Scripture are tied in with God's eternal plan for the Jewish people. And the first one that Paul introduces us to is this doctrine of grace. Do you think that we could have the church today without the doctrine of grace? Do you think that we could understand Christianity without understanding the doctrine of grace? And yet those people who contend that God is through with the Jews obviously fail to understand the doctrine of grace. People say, hey, Israel is an unbelief. So certainly, therefore, the promises of God must be removed from them because they haven't been in belief. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is that Israel's been in unbelief since the very beginning. Even though Abraham, our father, God said he believed and God accounted it unto him as righteousness, nevertheless, the Old Testament is a history of the unbelief of the Jewish people. And if the church and the church leaders would were to say, well, because of that, therefore, God has rejected the Jews, they would fail to understand the doctrine of grace. It's woven up and taken up together in this very powerful reality. Despite unbelief, God is in the interest of saving people and raising people from the dead. That life from the dead is the answer of God to the unbelief of the Jewish people. I love to tell this story. Maybe you've heard it before. I was handing out gospel tracts in Manhattan uh, on 34th and Broadway, right by Macy's department store, wearing my Jews for Jesus t-shirt. It was a beautiful sunny day, and I was approached by a woman, well-dressed woman in her late 60s, and she was angry and began to yell at me and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. How can you do this? Do you know what you're doing? Does your mother know you're doing this? <laughs> and then she spat out words that cut like a knife. She said, you're trying to complete the work that Hitler began. And she rolled up the sleeve of her dress to show me numbers on her arm. You see, Ruth is a survivor of Auschwitz, of the Holocaust, and I understood her anger, and there was little that I could say to her that day. So then you'll understand my surprise when several months later, during a Friday evening service at our Jews for Jesus office there in New York, while I was giving the message, who should come through the back door but Ruth? And I recognized her right away, but I couldn't quite place where we had met. So after the service, I approached her, and she reminded me where we had met. So I said, all right, Ruth, so what are you doing here? And she said, I have an open mind. <laughs> and she did. And, you know, she kept coming back every Friday night, started coming to our Tuesday night Bible studies. And what a joy it was for me one Friday night to pray with Ruth to receive Jesus as her Messiah. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, how can something like this happen? Hmm? How is it that somebody who's so bitter and angry and close to this gospel message, understandably so, how could somebody like that open up to receive God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I'll tell you. It's because that same power, the power that raised up Jesus from the grave, is active and at work in the world today. 
Paul is talking about that very power that sustains people in the midst of unbelief. And I believe that God is bringing life from the dead even today. And he does it because, and gives us hope for this reality, first of all, with this presence of the remnant. God has not cast away his people. And how do we know that? Because there's some that are still here. Paul says, I too am an Israelite, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus, Paul says. See, God can't be through with all of us. He's not through with me. And, 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 and you know, people say to me oftentimes, David, why do you call yourself Jews for Jesus? Aren't you just a Christian? Well, of course, I'm 100% Jewish and I'm 100% Christian. And there's no contradiction in that. Paul says that. He says this is evidence of the fact that un human unbelief will never thwart the promise and purpose of God. Did you think that the unbelief of this world will somehow stop God from doing what he intends? No. Because of Israel's unbelief, it just reinforces the fact that God is a God of grace and that he will accomplish all that he intends and human unbelief cannot stop God's plan. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad to know that, aren't you? And, and, and to emphasize this point, Paul is telling us, hey, this has always been true. And he goes back to this Old Testament story. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And he's getting so discouraged, Elijah is. And he, he says, Lord, he says, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Have you ever felt like that? You know, you go to work and you're the only believer there and everybody's using all kinds of foul language and talking about things that you don't even want to hear about and you feel like you're all by yourself and you, you're, you're the remnant too, you know, and you're, and you're saying, God, I, I feel so alone and that's how Elijah felt and God said, you're not alone. There's 7,000 men in all of this nation who have not bowed the knee to Baal and God has a remnant. He had a remnant in Elijah's day. Paul said, I'm part of the remnant too. And my, my own life is, a, is an echo of this ancient refrain. I come from the oldest lineage of Jews for Jesus that we know of alive today. Five generations on my mother's side. My great-great-grandfather was the chief rabbi of the ultra-Orthodox ultra Jews of Zhitomer in the Ukraine. Back in the 1800s, his name was Reb Levi Yitzchak Glazer. Uh, he's still well-known among the ultra-Orthodox today as what's called a chacham, a wise man, and a miracle worker. Very famous, but what's not very well-known in the Jewish community about Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Glazer is that his wife became a Jew for Jesus. Wow, you think we raise eyebrows today in the Jewish community. Can you imagine what happened when she became a follower of Jesus? There was a book written about her life called The Romantic Career of a Twice-Born Jewess. <laughs> they called Jewish women Jewishes back then. And uh, boy, what a story. It's out of print, but you can download it off of our Juice for Jesus website for free. And imagine that God has been faithful to bring people to himself, even in the midst of this incredible unbelief that has been part and parcel of the religious Jewish community. Nevertheless, there are these stories like Paul, like my great-great-grandmother. And you know what? This doctrine, this reality of the remnant is something that the church needs to rediscover. 
especially now in this very post-secular kind of environment we're finding ourselves in the U.S. You know, not too long ago, we were talking about ourselves like we were the moral majority. Remember that? the moral majority, and we were going to take over politics, and we were going to take over culture, and we were going to take it all back for Christ. Not so many people are feeling that way these days, you know, and the problem was we got all triumphalistic in our expectations about what Christianity was and what it was supposed to be, and we forgot about the doctrine of the remnant. We forgot about the reality of unbelief and how God preserves his people in the midst of a whole sea of unbelief, and we, we start marching, you know, and we have our drums and we have our cymbals and we're clanging them and we're singing onward Christian soldiers and we didn't stop to look at how few there were in our marching band right we're not the moral majority the Bible never told us we were going to be the moral majority we got to recognize that we're the holy minority at best. <laughs> we have to recognize that we're a remnant too. God always works through the remnant. It's not the big banging, clanging cymbals. It's the small, still voice of the Lord that spoke to Elijah, and his voice is still speaking today if we listen. And when we recognize, brothers and sisters, that we are not the moral majority, but we are a remnant, we are the faithful few that God has saved by his grace, then all of these things that we get into, you know, the, the spat, those great fights that we find ourselves in in the middle of the church, those become just a waste of time because we realize that the fellowship of the saints is the most precious thing that we have. There's not enough of us to be fighting with one another. We need to figure out how to work together to love God, to worship Him together, and allow Him to let us count in this sin-sick world. And so we, don't, we stop fighting and we start loving one another. And see, that's the testimony. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By the love that you have for one another, if we recognize that we're the remnant, then we will embrace that truth and we'll live like it and God will be glorified in our midst. Are you with me? Amen. The presence of the remnant is proof positive that God's grace will be accomplished in our midst. And as much as there is a remnant among Israel, so the church today is a remnant. And this gives us hope. It's not, a, it's not discouraging. You know, we, 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 we count how many people came to church today. How many people are going to come to church tomorrow? And we really get all caught up in the numbers game. And the reality is that God can accomplish so much with so few that it, all the glory goes to Him. And that's a hopeful thing. That's a hopeful thing. Hallelujah. But then Paul goes on and talks about the problem of the rest. Because that's really what has been gnawing at the edges of Christian consciousness. Okay, if Israel, if the Jewish people really are God's chosen people, then what about the rest of them? You know, there are some people today that are out proclaiming a gospel that's not for the Jews. Uh, they love Israel, but they teach Christians to love Israel but not evangelize them because there's maybe another way for Jews to be saved. And, and Paul is about as definitive as you can possibly be, saying when he answers the question, well, what about the rest? What about this problem? How do we deal with it? Well, look at this in verse 7 and following. He asks the second question of our text today. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. You know, a lot of people think that 
Jews are a really religious people. You know, when you think of Jewish people, you see these pictures in Israel of men with, you know, the black coats and the, and the, and the prayer shawls and they're davening at the Western Wall. I want to tell you that the majority of, is, of Jews in Israel are secular. Uh, they're agnostic or atheist. And even among the very religious, there are deep-seated problems. They're, they're, they're a cloistered community in Brooklyn or in Jerusalem, and they have all of the social problems that the rest of society has, whether it be spousal abuse, uh, sexual abuse, all kinds of problems, broken marriages, and yet they have none of the resources that the rest of the world has to help meet those needs. And so in Jews for Jesus, whether it be Oded and Bimini down in Beersheba or other branches, we're, we're dealing with all kinds. Did you know that prostitution is legal in, in Israel? Yeah. That these kinds of things are of ever-present reality. And so Christians have this vaunted view of the Jewish people and in reality, they're just as lost as anybody else. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Let's read this. What then? The others were hardened. The elect among them did believe, but the others were hardened. Verse 8, as it is written. Now, this is really difficult in our politically correct environment to understand these words. God gave them a spirit of stupor eyes that they could not see and ears that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Wow. That's what you call imprecation imprecatory psalms. These, this is a psalm and also a section from Isaiah where we see the hopelessness of those who are in unbelief. You know, there's so many people that go out and say, well, the Jewish people are okay on their own. They have a covenant with God. Why do they need the gospel? Let's not tell them about the gospel. Let's just love them. And what we end up doing if we ex accept that is we love them to a Christless eternity. That's not real love. That's the worst form of anti-Semitism. And so this, these, these verses demonstrate the fact that apart from Christ, there is real consequence in the Jewish community. The unbelief that has been prevalent wreaks havoc in that community. And it's a hopelessness. The, the presence of the remnant gives hope, but the problem of the rest is that there is hopelessness. My father was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home in Mobile, Alabama. He didn't think there were Orthodox Jews in Mobile, huh? They say shalom y'all down there. <laughs> in fact, my father, you know, when he would go to school as a young boy, he wore the, what's called the talit kaftan, which is the, the half talus with, with the, the strings uh, from the prayer shawl that would hang out at his belt. And this was a, a reminder to Orthodox Jews as to this very day of the 613 commandments that we're supposed to keep, but none of us do, right? And so my father would wear this, and all of his friends would say, look, Al Brickner's so poor, his undershirt's coming to shreds. <laughs> so this was an area that he grew up in, and, and yet during the Second World War, he and his family moved up to Detroit. And that was where my grandfather had come 
to start a ministry to the Jewish people. He called it Israel's remnant. Israel's remnant, people used to come into the storefront looking for pieces of carpeting from the Holy Land, you know. So they, they didn't understand remnant back then any more than we do today. But the point is that my father heard the gospel for the very first time when he was 18 when my mother's father was preaching it at Judson Memorial Church in downtown Detroit. And my father heard the gospel and it, his heart was open and he walked down the aisle and he received Christ. And then he went home and he talked to his dad, my grandpa Nathan, who was on his deathbed of cancer. And uh, he told his dad, Dad, I believe in Jesus. And my grandpa said, well, son, I'm glad you believe in something. And my, my dad said, no, Papa, I don't believe in something. I believe in someone. And you know, God gave my father the words to speak and to bear witness to his family in the midst of this hopeless situation while his dad is dying. And within a period of months, my, his brother, his mother, my grandma B, and my grandpa Nathan in the hospital on his deathbed all prayed to receive Jesus as Messiah. Hallelujah. My heritage is beautiful to me. Praise the Lord. But you know, my, my dad tells me the story of what my grandpa's funeral was like. It was an Orthodox Jewish funeral, and the whole family was, was gathered around the graveside, and my great-grandmother, my grandpa's mother, was crying, wailing, screaming in Yiddish, which is the language of East European Jewry, and she cried out, oh, my Nathan, my Nathan, he's in the ground, he's in the ground, oh, my Nathan is in the ground. And my grandmother, just days old in her faith, slipped her arm around her mother-in-law and said, No, Mama, he's not in the ground. He's in heaven with the Lord. And brothers and sisters, that's all. That's everything, right? The hope in the face of death and loss and despair, that hope brings life. And so, but you see, we need to be prepared to preach the lostness of the lost in order to establish the hopefulness of Christ. And that's why it's okay to say these things, that God does indeed bring about this kind of sense of bereftness. Look around the world. You'll see it. Uh, Pastor Phil mentioned Paris. I've been speaking just about every day since this terrorism tragedy to, to our, we have a, a strong team of Jews for Jesus in Paris. Joshua Turnill is the branch leader. And... Um, he called me yesterday morning. He said, I just got back from a synagogue service. And he said, it was such a hopeless, hopeless thing. It was the biggest synagogue in Paris. And the leaders were angry and they were afraid. And that's what they had to communicate to their congregants. They were angry at the fact that, that France wouldn't even recognize that this murderous rampage in the Jewish kosher store was anti-Semitism. They didn't acknowledge that. They were angry about that. In fact, Bibi Netanyahu came on the radio today and he said, we're going to have all of these people who were killed, they're going to get buried in Israel instead of France. So there's this tension, this anger, this frustration that nobody's really acknowledging what's going on, that this Muslim extremism is anti-Semitic at its core. And then they're afraid because they don't know what to do. They have no hope. And if you, if you think that somehow people can have hope apart from Christ, you're not going to preach the gospel. You're not going to be compelled to share the love of God and Jesus Christ. We have in the window of our office, which is right in the middle of the Jewish section, like Pastor said, two blocks from this grocery store. 
a sign, and it's beautiful. It's illumined at night, and it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Jesus. And some people criticize us and say, why are you talking about Jesus when the Jewish community is so bereft and feeling so upset? Just leave them alone, love them, but don't bring up Jesus. Not at this time. Oh, man, how wrongheaded can you be? Jesus is the only hope. I remember once at a, at a Christmas uh, outreach that we did a number of years ago, a bunch of you perhaps gotten involved and supported this. We had, we had billboards and newspaper ads that had this headline, the only hope for peace was born in the Middle East. And of course declared Bethlehem of Judea, you know, the wonderful prophecies about the coming of Messiah. Well, I had so many people said to me, why are you saying the only hope? Why don't you say a, a wonderful hope or the best hope even, but the only hope? Folks, Jesus is the only hope for peace. And when we know that, we preach the gospel. When we realize the sinfulness of sin, then that compels us to proclaim this hopefulness. The problem of the rest is that they go along living their lives as though their backs are not bent down, as though their eyes are not blinded, that they see, but they don't see. And we who see must have that compassion in our hearts. Yes, this is about judgment. And unless you understand God's judgment against Israel, you can't understand God's judgment in the rest of the world. In the same way as the doctrine of grace is dependent upon the church's understanding that God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, so the church must understand the doctrine of judgment is hinged upon the fact that God is going to judge those Jews who don't believe. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? And then when we know that, we know that God's merciful and gracious slow to anger, full of compassion, willing that none should perish. And so when we preach the judgment of God, we preach as God does with tears in our eyes, longing for the lost to come home. That is the problem of the rest, and we dare not minimize it, because when we do, we undercut the power of the gospel. And that's why your support of Jews for Jesus is so significant, because we're out there proclaiming the gospel. And if you're not a part of this ministry, you're not a prayer partner with us, I want to really encourage you to take this opportunity today to uh, take out the, the card in your bulletin and to uh, go ahead and bend it along the perforation here and, and tear, one, two, three, tear. <laughs> and then fill this card out and drop it off. You can drop it off at the literature table that's in the back. And we really certainly uh, want to have you to be a part of this ministry through your prayers, through your support, through getting the newsletter so you know what's going on in Paris or let's say in Beersheba where Oded and Bimini are. I know you guys all support Oded and Bimini. And this bat last year was a banner year for them because after having a very fruitful campaign in Beersheba, a place that has been known even in Israel as a hard place, it's in the desert, it's dry, it's barren. The people are roughshod. 
And yet we went there and found that there was greater openness to the gospel in Beersheba than any of the other cities that we preached in in Israel. There are streams in the desert, the Bible tells us, and Beersheba has become that place now, and it's the newest branch of Jews for Jesus. Oded and Bimini are there, and you support them. So we appreciate your support, and if you don't get their newsletter, you don't get ours, fill this card out. Go back to the back table. There's literature back there. I was talking to some folks during the, the time when we introduced one another during that first part of the service, several came up to me and said, I have Jewish friends, and, and, and I don't know, how I want, to I want to tell them about Jesus. Absolutely, and we want to help you, and on that literature table, there's free stuff and not so free, all kinds of stuff that will help you. And uh, one thing I wanted to highlight, which is really a powerful tool for you, first to view yourself and then to pass along to a Jewish friend, this is called Survivor Stories. And it has the testimonies of seven Holocaust survivors who've come to faith in the Lord Jesus, including Ruth, whom I mentioned earlier. And, and there's a study guide also that comes with this. So stop at that table and see what can be of use to you. The partnership that we share is significant for these times in which we're living. We're going to talk more about that tonight when we talk about end times prophecy. But the third and final point that Paul makes, the question that he asks, this is so crucial. It's part of our hope, and that's the promise of the resurrection. Paul asks his third question in verse 11. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? That's like the very first question he asked in Romans 11.1. 1. And his answer is equally unequivocal, absolute, affirming, not at all, absolutely not. F nothing could be further from the truth. Rather, because of their, now watch this, this is very unusual. You and I would never have dreamed this one up. Rather, because of their transgression, that is the Jewish peoples, their, Israel's unbelief, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Wow, God figured that one out. He planned that. You're sitting here because of Israel's unbelief. <laughs> you know, that kind of lays an undergirding to Romans 8.28. God causes all things, all things to work together for good. Your salvation is part of the byproduct of Israel's unbelief. So don't go out and start condemning Israel for that which brought about your salvation. The church has been doing that. Je the Jews rejected Jesus and God's rejected the Jews. I just read one of the most comprehensive volumes. It's actually a three-volume set on the book of Romans written by a man by the name of N.T. Wright. I mean, if you're going to sit down and write a three-volume commentary on the book of Romans, how can you get it so wrong? He said... The Jewish people are no longer Israel. The church is Israel. And if you believe in Jesus, you're a Jew, and those who are born of Jewish parents are no longer Jews. And all the promises that God made to Israel about the land are now fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the land of Israel. Oh, my goodness. How can you get that from this? It's just the opposite. Paul was bringing this up because people were having questions in the first century, and now the most erudite scholars of the 21st century are saying the same thing that Paul had to write this text about 2,000 years ago. Amazing. Did they stumble so as to fall? Not at all. Rather, 
because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if you were raised in a good Christian home, you were taught by your parents, it's not good to go out and intentionally make someone jealous by what you have. See what I've got? What I got for my birthday, you don't get it. You, do, you don't have it. <laughs> you know, your parents said, that's, that's rude. Don't do that. And yet Paul says that's God's strategy for Jewish evangelism. I gave the Gentiles salvation, and one of the byproducts is Israel gets jealous. And that is one thing I want to commend to you. I was talking to a woman after the first service and she said that she's got a wonderful opportunity to witness to somebody at work and it's because he recognizes there's something different about her. And what is that difference? It's not the smile on her face, although that's a great smile. It's not the joy in her step, although it's wonderful to see that. But why does she have those things? Because Jesus lives in her and that exudes from her face pours out of her, like sweat out of her pours, you know, and people see that. Jewish people see that. And they say, there's something about you. And I don't know how many Jewish people I've led to faith in Christ who said to me, you know why I'm talking to you today is because Joe Smith, who I worked with for 15 years, has something about him that I can't ignore. And he tells me it's Jesus, but I'm Jewish. So how do I put the two together? And, you know, some sow and some water, but God gives the increase. And God will use you to provoke Jewish people to jealousy because they see Jesus in you. And Paul said, hey, that's my strategy as well. He says, look at this, but I, I magnify my ministry, Gentiles, verse, verse 13. I, I, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad he was? <laughs> he says, I take pride in my ministry. I magnify my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. So Paul did this too. That was his philosophy, his tactics, his approach to Jewish evangelism. And if you have a Jewish friend, God will use you in the same way. Just live Jesus and speak about Jesus. Don't be afraid. Oh, you know, I don't want to offend. Don't worry about that. They're already offended. You know, just live Jesus and allow him to speak through you and you'll watch and you'll see that this very promise of God's word will come true in your life. And then the, the, the final thing, this, this life from the dead that he talks about, he says, for if their rejection brought real reconciliation to the world, in other words, Jews' unbelief brings about Gentile salvation, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? <laughs> So our doctrine of the resurrection is likewise tied in to God's promise concerning the Jewish people. Do you believe in grace? Do you believe in judgment? Do you believe in the power of the resurrection? You better believe that Israel will survive because they're intricately related. God staked his reputation on the Jewish people. He built a theological foundation based upon his promises for them. And God's word will be performed. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, I was back in New York and I was uh, watching one of our young college-age volunteers handing out tracts. And as I observed, he was approached by uh, a rabbi, uh, you know, with the black hat and the side curls, uh, you know, typical rabbi. And he came up to this college student and began to berate him. You should be ashamed of yourself. How can you do this? And right at that point, up walked Ruth. <laughs> you remember Ruth? 
And she, you know, diminutive woman that she is, she, she got in this rabbi's face and she said, young man, not too long ago I was right where you are. But now I know that Jesus is my Messiah and I'm more Jewish than ever. <laughs> and I watched this guy scratch his head and walk away and I thought, praise God. You know, there's another seed that's sown for the harvest that's yet to come. Life from the dead. God promised it, and I believe it, and we get to be a part of it. Praise His name. Hallelujah. You know, I want you to think right now with me as we pray about people that God has placed in your life. If they're Jewish, great. They need Jesus. Their backs are bent. Their eyes are blinded. If you don't know anybody who's Jewish, think about somebody who's not, who needs the same grace, and let's pray for them. Let's go before the throne of grace together right now. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that there is to this very day a remnant, not only among the Jewish people, but among the rest of the nations of the world, and some of that remnant is right here at Valley Bible Church. Praise you for, for the testimony that has echoed forth all throughout the East Bay because of the faithfulness of the remnant at Valley Bible. And Lord, we know that sometimes the remnant is a weak remnant. It seems that like we think about like I, I, Elijah. Lord, they've torn down your altars and I alone am left. Lord, we feel alone sometimes in our efforts to live for you. But remind us of the 7,000 men. Remind us of the rest of those who are obedient to you. Though we may not be the moral majority, Lord, that we are a holy minority set apart by you to reflect your glory and the hopefulness that we have in this sin-sick world. Lord, remind us of that truth. And then, Lord, remind us of the truth of how, how darkened people are who are apart from Christ. And we think of those people that you've placed in our lives right now. Lord, we love them. We think of them and we see their faces as we name their names before your throne. And, and we think, well, they're, they're nice people, many of them. And yet how lost they are along with the rest and need you. Oh, Lord, may you open their eyes. May you bring this one whose name we name right now to faith in the Savior. And Lord, yes, would you use us, not just in our prayers, but in our witness. Lord, may we provoke to jealousy these ones, that they might see Jesus in us, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see life from the dead to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you.